Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God is good. And all the time. Happy Sabbath, everyone. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I should add, God made seven days. He only blessed one. And we know from Numbers 23, verse 19, God, verse 20, God has blessed and I cannot reverse it. So what God blesses, no human being can transfer the blessing and relocate it. Are you with me? You cannot relocate the Sabbath blessing onto Thursday or Tuesday or Sunday. Because what God blesses, you cannot unbless. The other side of that coin, other side, what God curses, you cannot uncurse. How are you? It's nice to see you. You look like very nice people. <laughs> I really mean that. Did you have a good evening last night? You slept well under the protection of God's angels. This morning, all around the world, people were found dead. Who went to bed last night expecting to wake up. You woke up. Somebody say amen to God. All life is from God. No life is self-sustaining. Are you with me? Angels are alive because they're kept alive by God. When Christ comes and takes us home, we will be immortal but not disconnected from God. Disconnected from God, no being can live. So even in our immortal state, we will be dependent upon God for the preservation of that immortality. God is always in the equation. The equation where God has no place is the equation of sin. We take care of that ourselves. Not even the devil needs to help us. Because I've told you, if Satan dies tonight, people will sin five minutes later. Because we have a carnal nature. God is good. And all the time, let me remind you of my public testimony about God God has never done me anything wrong. Never. All my blessings have come from God. All my problems, you tell me, I have brought on myself. And so I clear God's name of any wrongdoing in my life. I love God. I like him. And I'm alive today because of God, not because of push-ups and vitamin C. But please do your push-ups and take your vitamin C. But I'm alive by the mercy of God. You know, God cannot get too much credit. We don't give him enough credit. But God deserves credit endlessly. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. 
I welcome those of you who are online, wherever you are. May the Lord bless you in a very personal way so that you will realize that divinity has moved in your life in the area of your need. And as for your children, may God put a double blessing on your children because God had a son who was once two years old and three years old and five. So God understands children and parents having children. For those of you who are not Seventh-day Adventists, you are online. We are particularly delighted to have you. Your presence honors us highly, and may the Lord lavishly bless your lives. In this congregation before me, if you are not a Seventh-day Adventist, you're visiting us, may I see your hand? You are not a Seventh-day Adventist. What's your name? Anthony is my middle name. I was wondering why you're so handsome. All right. Anthony is my middle name. Anthony, God bless you. God, say amen for Anthony. Amen. Yeah, that's my cousin. All right. Anybody else? You are not, uh, what's your name? Oh, yes, yes, yeah, I saw you. I love your persistence in coming back. God bless you. Say amen for faith. Amen. All right. Somebody else, you are not, uh, what's your name? Lamia. Lamia. May I press you to spell that for me? L-A, capital M-I-A, not small, please. Capital M-I-A. Lemire, may the Lord touch you and bless you and save you when he comes. Say amen for Lemire. Mm -hmm. Somebody else. You are not, ah, what's your name, sister? The mask is hiding your beauty. Accept that beauty by faith. Oh, there it is. All right. What's the name? Verena. Spell that. V-E-R-I-N-A. Oh, Verena. Where are you from, Verena? Jamaica. All right. God bless Jamaica in every possible way. Say amen for Verena. Is there someone else who's not a Seventh-day Adventist? My sister, what's your name? Who? Oh, Valerie. Yes, Valerie, you've been with us before. You look like one of us. Say amen for Valerie. All right. Okay. Yes, behind Valerie. Takisha. Let me try spelling that. T-E-K-I-S-H-A. Change the E to an A. Only God is perfect. Okay, Takesha, nice to see you. And may God bless you. Place his hand of mercy upon your life and never remove it. Somebody else, you're not a Seventh-day Adventist, but, ah, what's your name? You are? You're visiting from where? Atlanta. The New York of the South. How are you? What's your name? Anna, A-N-N-A. There's an Anna in the Bible. Yes, yeah, Anna, God bless you. What's the name of your church in Atlanta? Hope Tabernacle. May God bless Hope Tabernacle if you're online. One of your members is with us. Anybody else? You are not. Maybe there's someone in the overflow room who is not. I'll come to that good man who's not an Adventist. If you're in the overflow room, may the Lord bless you. Thank you very much for worshiping with us. Yes, my good brother, what's your name? Mackay. Mackay. Spell that, Mackay. M-C-O-M-C-K-A-Y. Where are you from, Mackay? Jamaica. All right. Why do I not learn my lesson? Everybody is from Jamaica. In Sunrise and Lauderdale Lakes and Lauderdale Sea and... Not everybody. Who's not from Jamaica? Where are you from? Where? Turks and Caicos is a good... Where are you from? The Bahamas have been there. My brother, where are you from? Fort Myers. Fort, oh, I, <laughs> that's where all the Jamaicans are, Fort Myers. Sister, where are you from? 
Bahamas. Oh, we have two Bahamian. Yes, my brother. Connecticut. All right, Connecticut. Not everyone is from Jamaica, but most of you are. All right. Well, God is good. And all the time. Our subject for this morning, the danger of knowledge. What did I say? What was our subject last night? An extreme makeover. What was our subject the night before? A blanket solution. But for this morning, what is it? The danger of knowledge. Let me ask you quickly. It is now 12.15. I'll release you by one. If you're not using one of these, please turn it off completely. If you're using it, turn down the sound. I believe that's a reasonable request. Favor number two, while I'm speaking, pray for me and say, Lord, put your words in that man's mouth. I make that request over and over, and every time I make it, I am very, very serious. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 9, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. And as surely as God lives, I want to speak God's words. I've tried every night I've stood before you to keep my opinions to myself. Because my opinions can't save you, even though I love my opinions, but they have no saving value. These words will change your life absolutely 180 degrees. Favor number three, what's that? Think. What's the verse? Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together. So I like that about God. He is a reasonable God. And I've told you, Satan is unreasonable. God is reasonable. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you today, God, because we need help. Don't cast us away, Father, because we have no other option. We come in the name of Jesus. He understands us and he understands you. As we come, Father, if we've sinned, forgive us immediately, dear God. Apply the detergent of the blood of Christ, which is sufficient to remove the most stubborn stains. Dear God, as you remove the sin, replace it with the righteousness of your Son. Because that's our qualification for a place in your kingdom. It is our qualification to fellowship face to face with you. Now God, I place myself in your hands. Tighten your grip on my mind, my faculties of speech. So that literally, Father, it will be you speaking but only the sound of my voice. Dear God, bless in a very special way all our guests online and in this building. And for the little boys, the little girls who are watching, bless them in a very sweet way, I pray, and remind them that you love them and you want them to give their lives to you. God, if someone is sick, touch that person right now and bring relief, their father. For that person who feels isolated and unloved, wrap your arms around him or her and draw the person into your bosom. Bless every country represented by those watching, particularly this United States of America. Guide the leaders, dear God, and remind them that the Most High ruleth in the kingdoms of men. Now, Father, speak through me clearly, I pray. In Jesus' name, let God's people say, Amen and Amen. Let us go to Psalm 51. We'll read from verse 1. It's a well-known passage. Psalm 51, reading from verse 1. What's our subject? The danger of knowledge. 
I read from the King James Version of the Bible. Do you have it? I've been with you two weeks now. You have to speed up the location of those verses. Read with me if you have my version. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. Listen carefully now. For I acknowledge my transgression carefully and my sin is ever before me. That's fine. God bless you for your eagerness. My sin is ever before me. There are people who committed a crime 25 years ago. And that sin, come on, is ever before them. And the remembrance of that sin, the knowledge of that sin, has no beneficial effect. It depresses. It discourages. It brings the guilt of shame and the guilt and shame, I should say, the weight of guilt and shame. I remember I robbed a bank. I remember I did this. I remember I did that. And David remembered the double crime of murder and adultery. And he said, my sin is ever before me. I remember I was unfaithful to my husband. I remember I disrespected my parents, whatever it might be. I remember and my sin is ever before me. And it bothers me. The knowledge of sin. Let us go to Genesis 2. What verses do you think I'm about to read? 16 and 17. Yes. I can't tell you how many times I have used those, that passage. It is so central, so foundational. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, our subject, the danger of knowledge. When you found it, say Amen. Read with me. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden of Eden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, what tree did God keep back from Adam and Eve? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not the tree of evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the Bible tells us clearly in verse 31 of Genesis 1. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold it was very good. That included the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me say again. It was not the tree of evil. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now if God told them don't touch it. The message for us is it is not good. To know evil. Whether it's yours or somebody else's. That's why I'm always a little uneasy when people stand in a pulpit and talk of their past lives and give a testimony that dwells mainly on all the sins they have committed. And there's someone listening who is fascinated. Are you with me? Because that's the nature of a human being, you see. What kind of a life did he live? Matter, why is my life so boring? The knowledge of sin God wanted to keep from Adam and Eve because it has no benefits. And so God said, do not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. It wasn't the tree that killed them. It was the act of disobedience, you see. But what were they kept from? The knowledge of good and evil. What's our subject? The danger of knowledge. Now, listen to what the devil told Eve and Adam. Well, Eve first in verse 5 of Genesis 3. Let's go there. Very next chapter, verse 5. We read 4. Well, let's read from verse 1 of Genesis 3. Are you there? Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, He shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, What? He shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, come on, knowing good and evil. Now, God did not want them to know good and evil, but the devil gave them the impression that knowing good and evil was a benefit. You'd be like God. You see, God can survive evil. You and I cannot. Ah, I'm talking to myself. God can survive evil. God will survive evil. God will survive sin. You and I cannot. That's why there's Christ who will take our sins. You and I cannot survive sin. And so the devil told her, you shall be as gods knowing good and evil. Go to verse 22. Of the same chapter 3. There's something almost sarcastic and ironic in what God says. You have verse 22. And the Lord God said what? Behold the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. Now that he knows good and evil. The outcome is ultimately death. But immediately eviction from the garden of Eden. Even when you and I are forgiven. We still have the knowledge of sin, and it bothers us. Not only does sin bring guilt, it also brings shame. Go to Genesis 3. Let's read from verse 9. Our subject, what? The danger of knowledge. It's 25 after 12. I think I said I'll release you by 1. Did I say that? What did I say? I won. Because I got up almost 12.15. All right. What book did I say? What chapter? We'll read what verse? All right. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, what? Where art thou? And he said, carefully, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked, and I hid my... Now look at verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves. So they knew something. In certain sense, the devil was right. You will know good and evil, but he did not discuss the consequences. Now that they are aware of having done wrong, you see, that's evil, in comes guilt and shame. Now, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Listen to me carefully. Let me pray again. Father, instruct me very precisely. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Guilt is the consciousness of having violated a standard. Are you with me? 
or a law, a commandment, a rule. I am guilty. I have gone contrary to thus saith the Lord. That's guilt. Shame is how you view yourself. Are you with me? I'm no good. I am a sinner. I'm the scum of the earth. That shame now, I am no good. And so Adam, having sinned, he is afraid he is ashamed. Not fit for the presence of God, and so he runs. Guilt and shame. And so God said, where art thou? And he said, verse 10, Genesis 3, I heard thy voice in the garden. Not I was told by someone. I heard thy, how many times have you heard the gospel and walked away? Because even though you hear it, because of the weakness of the flesh, hearing it is not enough. There must be a power outside of yourself that draws you to it. I didn't say that clearly. Let me try again. You hear it, but there's nothing you can do as far as accepting it is concerned because the nature of the sinner does not accept truth. There must be a power outside of you. Put a name on that power, Jesus Christ or the Spirit of Christ that moves you now to accept the truth. And so Adam, in his own strength now, which was really nothing, he ran from God when he heard He heard it. There are some people who hear the truth and they run. They don't run from the, tr the church building. They run from the truth. There are people sitting in churches right now who are running from the truth, but not from the church building. Because they will not do what the truth says. And so they run from truth, but not from church buildings. I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, exposed, and I hid myself. Now let's go to verse 7 again, and let's read from 7 to 8. The danger of knowledge. And they heard the voice, and, they knew, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now they covered themselves partially with aprons of leaves. But look at the extent of the shame and the sense of guilt. That covering is never enough. And they heard the voice of the Lord God, verse 8, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife did what? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now they need double protection from God. How does a sinner need protection from God? They're covered with aprons, but that's not enough. You cannot handle your guilt. You cannot handle your shame. Someone else has to take that from you. Are you with me? And so even though they were covered with leaves, they were looking for trees to hide behind. They're behind the leaves. They're behind the trees. That's the response of a guilt-ridden person avoiding God, the only one who can solve the guilt and shame problem. And so I'm guilty. And guilt is a weight. Like 10,000 tons of wet cement on your shoulder. You look at your 22-year-old boy and you realize it is because you failed as a parent. 
you were busy pursuing a career and a second PhD had no time for him and now he's in the arms of the law and there's nothing you can do and the guilt kills you while you hold on to your degrees you visit the wife of your spouse uh, the grave of your spouse and you realize I was a terrible husband kill that woman and there is nothing you can do guilt is like a cancer it's like a termite it destroys the temple of the soul now let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 and discover something that should lift your spirits because you all look so depressed <laughs> Hebrews 12 let's read from verse 1 what's our subject come on come on you're too slow what's our subject the danger of knowledge Hebrews 12 reading from verse 1 I hope my friends online are still with us wherever you are on this round earth do you have Hebrews 12 from verse 1 read with me wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us pause read slowly now looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him come on endured the despising the and is set on the right hand of the throne of now he endured the cross despised the shame let me deal with despised the shame the cross of Christ was the most shame the cross the crucifixion was the most shameful form of death it was reserved for the worst criminals we read it today and it does not have the same impact actually we glorify the cross and there's good reason for doing that not understanding the cross was a symbol of shame disgrace and humiliation in the United States they try to pass laws to get rid of uh, the, the, the death penalty some states have it some states don't there's some countries where you're executed by firing squad others by the gallows people are no longer i think hanging in the united states i don't think they are i don't think so but then there's the electric chair then there's a lethal injection all formed and each one has its own sense of shame and disgrace above them all was crucifixion on that cross it was a supreme act of shame and the bible says christ who of joy that was set before him what does the verse say endured the cross despising the shame now he took all that disgrace what does it mean by despising the shame here's the shame it does not mean the shame didn't exist but something in the eyes of Christ was so great it seemed to minimize the shame are you with me let the Bible explain what I'm trying to say let us go to Romans chapter 8 but don't lose Hebrews 12 Romans 8 let's read uh, verse 18 Romans 8 verse 18 our subject the danger of knowledge it's now 23 minutes to 1 do you have Romans 8 verse 18 read carefully and microscopically for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us now pause this is a powerful psychological principle to preserve your sanity many of us have taken painkillers before am i right 
sometime or another you've gotten a painkiller. The painkiller does not remove pain. It shields you from it. Are you following me? The Bible offers to us in that verse a painkiller. Here we have the sufferings of this present time. Do you see that in the verse? What else do we have? The glory. Come on. Come on. There are two things. What are the two things? The sufferings of this present time. What's the other thing? The glory that shall be revealed in us. Now Paul says, put them next to each other. And realize how much greater the glory to come is than the sufferings of this present time. And so Paul said there's no comparison. The glory is so great. What's coming for us is so tremendous. Face-to-face communication with God. No disease, no death, no divorce, no war, no plague, no floods, no hurricanes, no nothing. A life without sin, an endless life. Put that up against whatever you're struggling with now. And you realize it is not that big. Now, what did Christ do? And for the joy that was set before him. What's the joy? Of seeing you saved. Realizing what he was going through would save you. And when I say you, I mean you. I don't mean the church. You. That filled up the eyes of Christ so much. That he endured the cross. Despiting the shame. It was a form of a painkiller, knowing that you would be saved. The same way Paul says, look, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glories which shall be revealed, which means we must take time to think of the glory which shall be revealed. But when your mind and mine are focused only on the present, we magnify its effect. What I wanted you to see, that Christ took the shame and the guilt of our sins. Endured the cross, despising the shame. What does that mean practically? The gospel is so great, some people adopt this attitude towards it, too good to be true. Here are you. Decide. Here's Christ. Follow me closely. This plant is you. That plant is Christ. A murder has been committed by you. Are you with me? You confess your sin. It is moved from you, come on, tell me, to Christ. When that is done, an angel could say to the father, Father, who committed the murder? What's the answer? Christ. Because he takes the guilt. What did he do? What's the answer? Nothing. Nothing. You see, you're looking at me as, no, 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 this man needs medication. I don't need any medication. He did it. Because he confessed. And confession, the removal of sin. Confession does not cancel sin. It relocates it. From Florida to Michigan. (laughs) Are you with me? And so you look at Jesus... The Bible says he was numbered with the transgression. That's transgressors. He did it. Who's responsible? He is. Who's guilty of that crime? He is. And the guilt is removed from you. The shame, which is you have a low view of yourself. Are you with me? I am nothing. 
It affects your academics. It affects your marriage. It affects your social life. I am nothing. I am scum. No, no, no. You're not scum. He is scum. Because he took the guilt and the shame. You're not responsible. He is. You're not scum. He is. And he was treated like scum on that cross. And he was so much scum that the father turned away and he cried out, My God, my God, finish the words. Why have thou forsaken me? The father couldn't take it. He turned away from him and turned towards you. What a God. What a God. What a plan. Listen to what David says. Go to Psalm 3. Let's read from verse 1. And make this your personal psalm. Psalm 3 from verse 1. Our subject is what? Ah, you're still slow. You're still slow like porridge. Okay. Psalm 3. Let's read from verse 1. When you have it, say amen. Some of you are still looking frantically for Psalm 3. Do you have it? Do you have it? Psalm 3. All right. I'll wait for you. I'm a patient man. Sometimes. Okay. Do you have it now? Read with me. Lord. How are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be that save my soul. There is no help for him in God. Come on. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I await, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves around about me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. But I like verse 3. But thou, Lord, art a shield for me. My glory, come on, and the lifter up of my head. No depressed person walks around like this. They walk around like that. Just lost a job. You lost your house. You're on the corner of the street asking for money. Your spouse just left you. Your children disown you. Your friends have said bye-bye. And you're like this. Because the weight pushes the head down. David said, Oh Lord, at a shield for me, my glory, come on, and the lifter up of my, lift up your head, says God. Why? Because that's where you look to see Jesus. Lift up your head. Your redemption draweth nigh. My brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ takes the guilt. When John said in John 1 29, or John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. The Greek word take away is pharaoh, which means to carry. And so you have a ferry carries you across the river. Are you following me? So we have pharaoh. We have a so it's to carry. But he who carries the sin carries what sin brings. What does sin bring? It brings death. It brings guilt. And it brings shame. And when Christ takes sin, he does not take sin partially. He takes it completely. There's someone somewhere around the world right now listening to me, dealing with guilt and shame and a sense of no self-worth at all. 
I was a prostitute for 20 years. Who will marry me? I'm no good. I was a pimp, a professional inmate. What woman will connect her life to me? Nobody. I went from one community college to the next, flunked every course. Which community college will give me one more chance? There are people walking around with a sense of, I am no good. I'm finished. There's no hope. That's a classic case for suicide. And there is a God who says to that person, come. 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 Let me take that knapsack of guilt off your back that has you like this. And I'll put it on mine. Let me take those dirty clothes off you haven't washed for six weeks. And I'll give you an outfit that's spotless and clean. And so the change occurs. And the angels look down and see dirty Jesus. Covered in sin. Covered in shame. And sees that person upright. Clean clothes. A sense of worth. What's the worth? That he is as important to God as Jesus is. You didn't hear me. You give your life to Christ. You are as important to God as Jesus is. You don't believe me? Go to John chapter 17. Our subject is the danger of knowledge. Mm -hmm. John 17. Let's read verse 20 from 20. Let me pray again. Fathers, I continue. Please be with me, I pray, please, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. John 17, reading from verse 20. When you found it, say amen. Read with me. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also we shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we're one. Now read carefully. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me. Finish the verse. And hast loved them. How? As thou hast loved me. We must stop looking at ourselves and look at God. Look to Christ. We keep looking at ourselves. The Bible says, by beholding, we become changed. Now listen carefully to me. Are you up? Nobody sleeping? All right, listen carefully. By beholding, we become changed. In other words, if I behold something long enough, I eventually take on the characteristics of that thing. Are you with me? All right. Now, here is Christ. Follow me closely. Here's your problem. What are you beholding? Your problem. But by beholding, come on, we become changed. So you become more and more like the problem, which makes it in your eyes more and more unsolvable. Now, by faith, you switch your gaze to him for whom nothing is impossible. And as you look, as you gaze, as you behold, you develop this faith, this confidence, this, this, this surety that something can be done about that. What we do, we look at this. 
when Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, was confronted with three armies to destroy Jerusalem in 2 Chronicles 20, he called all the people together and they prayed at the temple. And he said in verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 20, All our Lord God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no power against this great company which cometh against us, neither know we what to do. Who can finish that verse? But our eyes, come on, are on thee, not on them. Our eyes are on thee. I was watching a program once on boxing. And you're told when you're boxing, don't look into the person's face. What should you look at? Their hands. Are you following me? They don't punch with their face. So don't look at the face. Look at where are their hands? What are their hands doing? Now, God is the power. God, Christ is God's left hook. Are you following me? And right hook. Are you with me? And jab. Huh? And uppercut. You look at Christ. And when you consider, he said, let there be light. And there was light. How is your problem bigger than that? Guilt is a problem the size of Mount Everest. And it weighs down the person. And some suffer quietly. Let me tell you something else. Guilt is not a physical thing. But it produces physical side effects. It can conclude ulcers, depress your immune system, lead to all kinds of undesirable physical effects. Just guilt. Now remove the guilt. You also have physical benefits. Remove the sense of shame and you also have physical, I'm no doctor, but studies have shown that thankfulness, gratitude, forgiveness, all of these things produce physical benefits. What's our subject? The danger of knowledge. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat of it. Knowing sin is not good. In the new world, we will have no knowledge of our past sins. No knowledge. As I said earlier, when God forgives us now, we still have a memory of that sin. And it produces no benefits. We regret we regret, I wish I had not done that to Christ. I wish I had given him my life in my youth so that my best energies would be used by him. Now I'm 100 years old, I'm coming to Christ, what can he do with me? And we have all these wishes and wishes and wishes. The knowledge of sin is not good. But the sacrifice of Christ is not only intended to provide forgiveness. It's also intended to fix and change our natures completely. Are you with me? So that we have no sense of guilt, no sense of shame. And there's coming a day when this corruptible shall put on what? In corruption. Now he's referring to the saved. But he calls them corruptible. Because we still have weaknesses. This corruptible shall put on you see, we're going back to the way it was before Adam sinned and before he sinned and before Eve sinned. They had no knowledge of sin. The gospel will end when we are taken back to that. Now we give our lives to Christ. We're saved, yes, but we still have the knowledge, come on, of sin. That has to be removed. 
And so every memory you have is a blessed one. But now, that's not the case. Because we recall, we remember. And the devil has a part in that. Go to Revelation 12 quickly. Revelation 12, we'll read from verse 7. Our subject, come on. The danger of knowledge. You're still slow, but okay. Revelation 12, reading from verse 7. I'm close to finishing. It's already 10 to 1. And I have a call to make. Do you have Revelation 12? Let's read from verse 7. Are you there? You ought to read the first 7 to 9 without looking, really. You ought to do that. Well, let's see what happens. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Come on, 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, what? Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Carefully now, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Finish it. Who, which accused them before our God day and night. It is Satan that brings back as far as possible past sins. And then we wonder, was I really forgiven? Yes, because God is not a man. Come on. That is a lie. He brings back what you did in 1945. And this is 2023. And you start, oh, ah, sorry. Shame. My sin, as David said, is that's the work of the devil. Go to Zechariah chapter 3. Let us see that dramatically represented. Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, sorry. What did I say? Zechariah chapter 3, reading from verse 1. Our subject, the danger of knowledge. Zechariah 1, reading from verse 3. It's a familiar passage. Zechariah chapter 3, reading from verse 1. Find Matthew, then work back from Matthew. You have Malachi, Haggai, Zechariah. Malachi, Zechariah, sorry, Haggai, Zechariah just before Malachi. Do you have it now? Chapter 3. Verse 1, read with me. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Finish that verse. And Satan standing where? At his right hand. Come on, to resist him. Now this is a picture of what Satan does to God's people. He stands to oppose and accuse. Read verse 2 for me. What does that say? The Lord God said unto him what? The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now you and I must tell Satan, without engaging in long conversation, I have been cleansed and washed, come on, by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am no longer guilty of that. We get thee behind me. As Jesus went to the word, we must go to the word. I have been forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ. You've got to confront him with the word. But the devil's work is to bring back. Bring back that memory. But let me say it again. Salvation will not be absolutely complete. Until we reach that place. Where nothing will ever come back. To annoy us. 
Jesus took all the guilt, took all the shame. When you confess and you say, I am sorry, that crime goes on Christ. He is viewed as responsible for your sin. When it is confessed, when you refuse to confess, you are responsible for your sin. But when it is confessed, Christ takes the sin and all that goes with sin, death, guilt, what's the other one? Shame. And so someone whose life is given to Christ should understand my self-concept is no longer based on the car I drive or the neighborhood in which I live. Or how many Gucci bags I have. Are you with me? My self-concept is based on the fact that God views me so highly, he sent his son to die for me. Can you say amen? And so shame goes. Guilt goes. I didn't do it. Jesus did. And he paid. And the closer you get to Christ, the less likely you are to remember the sins of the past. Notice I said, less likely. But that will ultimately end when this corruptible puts on incorruption. And the former thing shall not come to mind. This shall not come to mind. Guilt. Some of you have been listening for two weeks. Are you guilty of not responding? Don't answer me. Are you guilty of resisting what you've been hearing? Don't answer me. That guilt is on you, not Christ. When you do what the Spirit prompts you to do, then the guilt leaves you and goes on to Christ. But as long as you're politely stubborn, are you following me? Well-dressed and hard-headed, the guilt stays on you and the condemnation rests on you. But when you decide, Father, I have heard, I have heard this man has been preaching since November the 4th. This is now November 18. Two weeks. It is time for me to make that decision to give my life to Christ, to obey him. And what do I mean by obey him? All his commandments. What are they? Commandment 1 to commandment 4. A commandment 10. My mind is on commandment for obviously, and the ten include, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The only commandment with the word remember. Why do you think that is? Now the Bible says all scripture is given how? By inspiration. So the Holy Ghost led Moses to write, or the Holy Ghost himself, remember. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. You are all reasonable people. Let me ask you this. I have never met a Christian who has a problem with commandment one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Help me because my knowledge is very limited. What is the problem with commandment four? Ah, uh, okay. It requires what? sacrifice what's wrong with commandment four is the one that really demands obedience which is demonstrated in a change of behavior you see thou shalt not covet no one knows if it's going on here remember the sabbath day people will see are you with me they will see 
On the job, they will know because you'll tell the supervisor, I no longer, come on, finish my words, work on Sabbath. They'll see it in school. You'll tell your professor, I no longer, come on, attend classes. It is the commandment that requires a change of your life. And so people find gymnastic reasons and reasoning to get around commandment four. My brothers and sisters, let me give you a surprise. Commandment four is the test commandment. If you obey this, God says, no problem with any of the other nine. And so when the Israelites came out of Egypt, God said, I will test you to see if you'll obey me. And the commandment on which he tested them, the fourth commandment. He said, man of six days, none on the seventh. To test them. Today, God is asking you, obey me. Will you obey me? Will you surrender to me? Will you yield to the conviction of my spirit? And make the right choice. What's that choice? Obey God. I've told you so many times. I'll say it many more times in the final week. All God wants from you and me is obedience. In other words, what did I say? What did you do? Constantine the Great, a Roman emperor said, the, sixth, the first day of the week is a day of rest. That's what he said. But the Bible says there's one lawgiver. Are you with me? Amen. James chapter 4 verse 12. There is one lawgiver, not Christ and Constantine. Christ. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping with your eyes open? No. There is one lawgiver. That's Christ. And the Bible says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And your God is the one you obey. When Eve consumed that fruit, her God was Satan. Now, not forever, in that brief moment, her God was Satan. As she walked towards her husband with the forbidden fruit, her God was Satan. And when Adam joined her, his God was Satan. Listen to God speaking to Adam. Genesis 3.17 And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. But the wife's voice was reflecting whom? Satan. So ultimately, Adam hearkened to Satan. To whom will you hearken? Remember the Sabbath day. Uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. All those who agree say Amen. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Do you agree? Amen. Amen. Commandment three. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Amen. Commandment five. Honor thy father thy mother. Amen. Commandment six. Thou shalt not kill. Amen. Commandment seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Amen. Commandment eight. Thou shalt not steal. Amen. Commandment nine. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Amen. Commandment ten. Thou shalt not covet. Amen. Commandment four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Mm-hmm. How many of you have been blessed by the message today? Can I see your hand? You really have? Stand up with me. Let me close the book to let you know I'm finishing. I may reopen it. Listen to me carefully. If you're not a Sabbath keeper, I want you to make a decision right now to keep God's Sabbath day. Unless you have one verse that shows God 
the first day is holy. And you don't have it. I told you the story. I was in Nigeria several years ago. I just came back from Nigeria in October, but I was there years before on a college campus speaking, speaking to students, intelligent people. And I said, listen, if any of you can bring me two verses tomorrow, I'll give you 400 crisp U.S. dollars. One verse must say the first day of the week is holy. The other one must say God changed the Sabbath from the seventh to the first. Bring me those two verses. You get $400. So they went off to do their research. The next night I came to the meeting. I said, come get the money. Nobody moved. I said, come get the money. Nobody moved. At the end of the service, this young man came to me. I said, what do you want? Uh, listen, I couldn't find the verses. I said, why not? He said, well, they're not there. But can I still have the money? I said, <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. You can forget that. No, 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 no. But he admitted they're not there. I ran a crusade in Detroit. Preached about the Sabbath. This lady went to her husband. We offered $2,500 for two verses. The first day of the week is holy. God changed the Sabbath from the seventh to the first. $2,500. This woman went to her husband. Honey, we can use the money to fix up the house. Uh, what do we have to do? I need two verses to take to that strange preacher. Two verses. And the husband said, oh, yeah. she said, what? He said, yeah. She said, honey, what are you saying? He said, they're not there. She said, well, why do we do it? She said, he said, I was born a Baptist. Come on. I'll die a Baptist. Mm -hmm. And he lost $2,500. <laughs> Listen to me. Tell God, Father, I want you to help me. To keep the seventh day Sabbath. It has never been changed. I want you to have the courage to make that choice. And free yourself from the guilt of willful disobedience to God. I also want you to tell God, Father, I will no longer speak in tongues. Now, if the Spirit leaves me, I'm going to talk about tongues. Are you with me? When I was in Nigeria, I was preaching about tongues. I said... Which of you speaks in tongues? I said, come. So a young lady came up to the pulpit. I said, speak in tongues. And she rattled off something. And I said, what did you say? No clue. Then I said, someone who speaks in tongues, come and interpret. Nobody came. Because nobody knew what she said, including her. And she stood next to me shaking shaking under the possession of something other than the Holy Ghost. Then she went back to her seat and told me, Pastor, after she came back, she was still shaking. Speaking in tongues. Then a friend of mine told me, he was at a service, and this man started speaking in tongues. But he was speaking a language from another tribe, from another part of the country. But my friend knew the language and realized, and then he said, he told my friend, don't tell them. Because they were jumping and screaming. This man is speaking in tongues. You need to stop that. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Before we pray, do we have cards? All right. I need some cards. Let's pray. Father, the time is late, but it's never too late to come to Christ. It's never too late to make a simple decision. I want to obey God. Father, there are those who need to lose the weight of guilt. Lose the sense of shame. Christ took that by his sacrifice, Father. And so by simply choosing to obey, yielding the life to Christ, 
that man, that woman in person or online can be free from guilt and free from shame. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if someone listening to me, you are not obeying all of God's commandments. Listen to me carefully. You are not obeying all of God's commandments. And you want to make a decision to do that, obey all his commandments. I want you to raise your hand and give you a card. I want to obey all God's commandments. Let me see your hand. All of them. All. Give a card to my lovely sister here. My sister over here. Nobody becomes a saint overnight. God just needs a decision. I want to obey all God's commandments. Just raise your hand quickly. There are two hands back here. Two hands back there. Row number four. Just, okay, my brother has them covered. God bless you. I want to obey. There may be someone in the overflow room. Get some cards to that room quickly so I can release God's people. I want to obey God. It's a simple decision. God will figure out how. But you can decide that. God cannot decide for you. You have to make that decision. And God jumps in and makes it possible. I want to obey all of God's commandments. And God has ten. One of them is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do not be afraid to do what is right in the sight of God. You have divine power to assist you to obey God. Make that decision. I want to obey God. Anybody else? Just raise your hand, we get you a card. Anybody else? I want to obey God. 60 seconds and I pray. Lose that guilt, my brother, my sister. Lose that sense of shame. Christ took it. There's no need for you to carry it. I want to obey God. That's the choice you're making. Decisions are powerful things. Make one now as the Spirit speaks to you. I want to obey God. Obedience is life. Disobedience is death. It may be slow death, but it is death. 40 seconds. Thirty seconds. Thy blood was seconds of God I come I come in all congregations they are shy people you're shy to raise your hand come see me in the pastor's office right after the service do not leave this building without making a decision to obey God not me God let me finish the prayer father in heaven have made a call after preaching the word let your spirit who assisted me continue the work of conviction dear god remind us somehow that it is the work of christ to carry guilt and shame not the work of a human being christ is the sin bearer he bears the shame let us make that choice to obey god that the shame and the guilt may remove from us and be placed on our sin bearer and for those who've made that decision, they God, give them the reassurance right now they've done what is right and that you will be with them step by step on the way to obedience. Father, bless those in this building, those online, 
today, God, I hope many online have also made that decision to obey you, all your Ten Commandments, by your power. That's the only way. Thank you for truth. Thank you for Christ and his sacrifice. Bring us back this afternoon, I pray, at five o'clock. In Jesus' name and for his sake, let God's people say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot audioverse.org.